Thanks, Andrew. Thanks to all of you for making this such a wonderful morning. My name is Dee. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, what a joy to be on the dance floor and uh, have so much space to move around. Um, we are digging into this passage of Scripture. I would make a mention of a couple things very quickly to add on to what's already been said. Um, some of you are familiar with uh, the resources that are available at the website. We, every week, have our lectionary scripture readings that you can go to from the front page. Just click on it, and it will take you to our readings. If, for some reason, you were particularly intrigued by the uh, Acts 2 reading this morning, um, there's also a link right on the front page that can take you right to that. So if you'd like to do your devotions this week in Swahili, it is right there, and you can make that happen. There's also a link on that front page to the most recent newsletter that comes out from Coco Gracias. Um, if you'd like to see some of the amazing ministry that's taking place, it's the kind of thing that just draws you in because there's such good news that's happening. I invite you to connect in that fashion. Speaking of which, I was moved this morning in the first service by something that Carl Martin said. He observed that as Paul wrote this passage in 1 Corinthians, he had absolutely no idea. In fact, it would have been beyond his comprehension, even if somebody tried to convey it, that what he wrote would be read by a gathering of believers in this little corner of the North American continent as we try and figure out how we might support the ministry of a group of believers in Honduras led in praise by a group of believers who are here visiting us from Rwanda. Paul would just not have imagined that that could happen. And yet here we are in the midst of an incredible Sunday morning realizing that in these four walls we uh, grab hold of a gospel message that is bigger than anything we could ever comprehend, understand, or wrap our head around. And yet we get to celebrate it. We get to honor it. And we get to learn more about what it might mean to be a participant in making heaven and earth and the lines between them kind of disappear. That somehow in this fellowship, in this uh, gathering together, those barriers begin to just fall by the wayside, and we get a taste of eternity right now. This passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is where we are at, and I've conveyed to you before some of the nuances of this church location in Corinth. It is kind of the crossroads of markets, as well as the crossroads of cultures, as well as the crossroads of political ideas and thought. Corinth is in a small little piece of land that connects a much larger body of land to the north, and the extension of that land mass to the south as it reaches into the Mediterranean Sea. And so, almost all traffic by land that heads from north to south or south to north goes through Corinth. Likewise, 
the maritime traffic, the boats that are trying to get their goods east to west, would often forego sailing down the south end of this mass of land into some of the dangerous waters of the Mediterranean Sea, and instead would often, not always, but would often come to port on one side of this little piece of land, unload their cargo, and there was an entire economy that was built on transporting that cargo from one seashore across this small piece of land to the other seashore where it would be loaded up again on other boats and continue on its way. So this is a strategic port in so many ways. Strategic because of the economics. Strategic because of the cultural mixes that would happen here. Strategic politically as well. And so into this place, Paul writes the words that we heard read. Now in this passage, part of a, a larger passage, we hear some language that is probably very familiar to us. It speaks about one body in many parts. I think that most of us are probably familiar with how that language, that beautiful metaphor is used to describe the church and the many differences and strengths that we bring to the mix to form one body. And I think that very often we view that as being unique to the Christian culture, that this is an image that Paul creates to um, teach us, and it's just a wonderful image that is stuck. In all likelihood, the people of Corinth have heard this imagery before. Not original to Paul. In fact, this was language that was used very specifically to try and keep the people of this area engaged in the work of the empire. A language that said, we are all part of one purpose. We are one body. And so it was a way by which to get the workers to do the work, the farmers to farm, those who brought it to marketplace to do their task, to serve the larger good of the empire. However, it was not only used to keep people engaged, but it was also used to make sure people knew their place. So describing somebody as being the foot of the body, the ones who did the labor and were in touch with the ground and, and planted and gathered the crops, it certainly pointed out that they were a significant part of this larger purpose, but it was also very clear that your role is to do that task. And then you turn the resources over to those who operate as the head who operate as those in charge, those who are more educated, those who are more wealthy, those who are born into more prominence and power because they make the decisions about how the resources are used and how the work um, gets used to the best benefit of those who are in power. So it was certainly an image that kept people engaged, but it was also this imagery that kept people in their place. Make no mistake about it. The role you play is this and nothing more. Paul 
takes that familiar imagery and turns it inside out. I mean, it is, it is disruptive what Paul does with that imagery. In essence, Paul is saying, if you read this larger passage, we are members of one body, we contribute in very different ways, but we are one. We are together in this, and we become one in what we do. In fact, the language that Paul uses probably is a little different than typically we think of the body. It, it is true that in Scripture, we hear the language that says, and Christ is the head of the church. Paul more often describes Jesus as the body, and we are the body of Christ as well. He doesn't buy into this imagery of the hierarchy that exists, though it makes perfect sense. God being the head, the almighty, the supreme, we bow down and worship the one we serve. So God is preeminent, and that is all true. But the amazing message is that God took on human form and became our friend. I find that it's easier to say that than to comprehend it. That Jesus is a friend of mine. Oh, what blessed, sweet communion. Jesus is a friend of mine, is what the hymn writer writes. I'm guessing I'm not the only one that has struggled with this to make sense of God the Creator offering that kind of a relationship. Friendship. It flies in the face of everything we think about hierarchy. It takes this image of the body and really does turn it inside out. It, it proclaims a message of unity, not because we've been forced to by those who are in power, but because we're invited into it by those who love. More specifically, by the one who loves perfectly. An invitation into friendship. It's been a long time since I've read to you a children's book, so it just seems like this morning is time. So here we go. I have to make a disclaimer, though. The children's book, this book has a word in it. It's used a couple of times that my mom and dad were never very comfortable with. And so if you're uncomfortable with it this morning, I just want to apologize up front. But apparently it's cowboy language because it's said by the cowboy in the book. I'll just tell you right up front so that if you want to get angry or upset, you can do it right up front so then you can listen to the book. It's the word dang. And he says it a couple of times. But apparently that's a cowboy word. And so I want you to know that. Title of the book is The Cowboy and the Octopus. 
It's a series of little vignettes, actually, that depicts the journey of these two. And it begins with Cowboy meeting Octopus. And he's looking at one end of a teeter-totter, this long board, and here's how the beginning of this relationship goes. Cowboy is confused. Cowboy says, and that be Cowboy says, this dang thing is always broke. Hello, says Octopus. I think I can help. You get on that side, and I'll get on this side. Yee-haw, says Cowboy. You fixed it. Octopus says, some things work better with a friend. You want to be friends, says Cowboy? Certainly, says Octopus. So Cowboy and Octopus shake hands and 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 shake hands. It's an octopus. Chow time. Cowboy decides to surprise Octopus and make him dinner. Octopus is definitely surprised. Heavens, says Octopus. What is this? Well, I cooked all my favorites just for you. Beans and bacon. Bacon and beans. And then some just plain beans with a little bit of bacon. Oh my, says Octopus. Octopus doesn't like beans and he doesn't like bacon. But he does like it that Cowboy has worked so hard just for him. So Octopus licks one bean. Mmm, says Octopus. I am so full. <laughs> Cowboy smiles. He is glad his friend likes his surprise. Wait till you see what's for dessert, says Cowboy. Octopus says, I'll I bet I can guess. Then on one beautiful day, the beautiful day vignette, Octopus looks out the window and it's raining. Octopus says, isn't it a beautiful day? Cowboy looks out and says, nope, it ain't. It's the end of that vignette. Knock, knock, says Octopus. Cowboy opens the door. Nobody there. No, no, says Octopus. You say, who's there? Well, there ain't nobody there, says Cowboy. I know, says Octopus. It's, it's a joke. Cowboy thinks for a moment. Well, dang, it's not a very funny joke. Octopus laughs. No, Cowboy, the joke comes after you say, who's there? Okay, says Cowboy. Who's there? Octopus says, lettuce. Lettuce, says Cowboy. That's crazy talk. Lettuce can't knock on a door. Cowboy laughs. This is a great joke, Octopus. <laughs> Octopus laughs too. Telling Cowboy a knock-knock joke didn't work out so well, but a lettuce knocking on a door is pretty funny. Do you like my new hat? Asks Cowboy. Wow, says Octopus. That is really... Mm, Different. Do you like my new hat, says Octopus. Cowboy says, nope. Hey, says Octopus, I said something nice to you. Why don't you say something nice to me? I thought we were friends. We are friends, says Cowboy. 
And that's why I'm telling you, your new hat looks like something my horse dropped behind him, because that's the truth. (laughs) Adios, amigo. That's the end of the book. Yeah, thank you so much. So spiritual, so powerfully uplifting to go from 1 Corinthians to cowboy and octopus. Why? Because the truth of the matter is, friendships aren't always easy. Friendships take work. Friendships particularly become difficult when the two people are so, so different. It's like cowboy and octopus. Different backgrounds, different ways of doing things, different approaches, different strengths, different sore spots, different histories. Friendships take an effort. Paul is calling us not to some easy road, but some incredibly rewarding road. Not something that always comes naturally all the time, but something that begins to work its way into our character that transforms not only us, but the people around us. A powerful, hard-working, sacrificing friendship modeled to us by our Creator who invites us into friendship relationship. I'm going to actually pause right in the middle of this. I'm going to draw this to a closure in a few moments. But all of this leads us to a question and a place. Paul says we are given so many different gifts and talents. He, he gives us one list in verse 7, uh, pardon me, verse 8. He gives us another list beginning in verse 28. And he describes all of the differences that just leap off the page to us. But it doesn't exhaust the differences. There are so many other ways. So how do we maintain in the midst of all of these differences Something that looks like unity? (laughs) Well, Jesus, in the midst of being with his friends, on the night he was betrayed, invited them to a common table with common elements, all on the same ground, not some hierarchy of who gets to sit where and how it's all lined out in terms of who's in the room, who's not. An invitation to friends, come sit around the common table. Those things that are given by the Spirit, given by the Spirit, can unite, but they can also divide. It says at the beginning of this passage, be careful, lest how you do things... Say that Jesus is not Lord by your actions, by the way you use your gifts. Instead, we use them the way they were intended, for the common good, for the benefit of all, for the friendship that Jesus proposes. 
So this morning, I'm going to ask Milton to come and draw us to the common table where we join together in friendship in taking of the common elements that Jesus provides for us. Milton? And Justin, if you would come and lead us in the music as well.
one of the very familiar passages for those who have spent any time in Scripture or have made a habit of going to multiple weddings is the very next chapter, chapter 13, the passage that speaks about love. I love that it is used in those wedding settings, but I'm afraid that because of that, we have sometimes relegated chapter 13 that speaks so profoundly of love as being a chapter that is for those who have entered into a covenantal lifelong relationship of marriage. And there is absolutely nothing, nothing in Scripture that indicates that it should be relegated to that. In fact, if you will look at this passage, the way that the chapter begins indicates that it is actually an explanation of what Paul is trying to work through in chapter 12. So that some would suggest that chapter 13, this amazing depiction of what it means to live into love, could just as readily be stated as the way by which we live into friendship. The way by which we live into the lives of one another with an unconditional love that takes the ways in which we've been gifted or blessed and uses them for the common good, the good of others. It doesn't in any way demean or demote the ways in which you have advantage over others. It's not pretending that some don't have advantages in certain ways that others don't. Those advantages exist, and they are more so for some individuals, given their location and where they've grown up, and a bunch of other factors affects the advantage that you might have. The call in this passage, though, in verse 7, is that you have been blessed by God's Spirit, these manifestations of God's work in your life, for this reason that those advantages might be used on behalf of others. The common good, the friendship to which we have been called. The closing line of a beautiful hymn that talks about the work of Christ, that heaven and earth might be one. What an amazing line that we think is something that Jesus does at the end of time, which I believe has some truth to it. But Jesus has called us to make heaven and earth one now. And Paul tells us how. That in taking the ways in which we have been blessed by God's Spirit and using them in friendships to others, we catch a glimpse of what heaven looks like now. It's very easy for me to jump to the conversations that I want to have, the statements I want to make, the things I want to say to others. But I've realized what's true in my own life, and that is that I can hear almost anything from someone who has displayed their friendship to me. Someone who hasn't 
my defenses go up. Not only do I have a tough time hearing the bad things, I often even dismiss the good things, thinking, what do they really want out of this? What's behind it? Why'd they say that? But when it comes out of friendship, say what you want, you're my friend. Paul says, let the church so display what it looks like to live in that kind of friendship where we are at the common table using what we've been given for the common good so that that then spills into a world that says, oh, that's not like anything I have ever seen. That turns everything inside out. Because someone has caught a glimpse of what heaven just might look like. So let the elements this morning become part of who you are. Let them work into your feet, into your hands. Let them fill your heart. Let them inspire your attitude and your motivations. Let your life become a reflection of the one whose friendship was extended to us for no reason other than love. That we might do the same. Oh Lord in heaven, may this morning be yours to work as you please. We bow our knees, our postures to you in reverence. And in the midst of that, you beckon us to come to the table, to dine with you, to be friends. Just saying it sounds sacrilegious. And yet in so many ways, it is the most beautiful religious statement ever uttered. Oh, what blessed, sweet communion. Jesus, a friend. May we be that to others, O oh Lord, I pray.